Hey everybody and welcome back to In the Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. This week we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Lower Decks, Kayshawn, His Eyes Open. I am Kevin, one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my other host, Ethan. So before we begin talking about the episode this week, there's just one thing I wanted to mention. Uh, we, as of yesterday, uh, it was the 100th birthday of Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry, which is insane to think about. Wow. He's 100 he's years old. old. He's old. Yeah. I mean, born in 1921. 1921. Wow. Yeah. Um, 21. Let me see. Did he fight in World War II? He did. Okay, makes sense. Yep. Most of them did. And he was a police officer in the 50s? He was a police officer. He was an airline pilot. He did a whole host of different things before he became a TV writer. Uh, Yeah, well, I think that's great. Yeah. And I think that we're going to do an episode, right? Just on this. Mm -hmm. And we can announce now that one thing we will be discussing is the intro to the motion picture novelization. Yeah. Because that was actually written by Roddenberry. And the right. intro is a fascinating piece of writing because it really gives us, I think, one of the best insights into Roddenberry and what he believes of the world of the future and the world of Star Trek because he writes from the perspective of Kirk. Yep. As if Kirk were writing an introduction to a novel that's about Kirk's that's real right. adventure. Yeah. And he talks about what's going on in the world and whatnot. So I think that's a fitting way to. I also um, have to. Memory. I also have to dig this out, but um, it's probably on Apple Music. But back in the 1999, for the 20th anniversary of the motion picture, I remember I got a two CD collection of the motion picture soundtrack. It was redone, it and it was remastered, but there was a bonus disc. And I don't remember what they pulled this content on there from. Must have been on like an original LP or something like that. But there's interviews with Roddenberry talking to Shatner and a bunch of other different people. And it's very interesting to to listen to it. I haven't listened to it in a long time. But maybe I can find it and see if I can pull some recordings on there. I just... It's interesting to me that I feel like... Like, it's weird. Roddenberry's the creator of Trek, but it's interesting that I don't think we get a lot of insight into what his approach to the franchise, some of the approaches of that he had to the franchise. Like, I don't think enough of that is sort of mined and sort of looked at enough by the fans sometimes on these podcasts. It's just sort of like, what's new with the franchise, right? But I feel like... Yeah, I think it's, yeah. I think it's interesting and it's... It's different than say I think the the other um, the analog is George Lucas, right? And I think because George Lucas kept control of Star right. Wars and always had a hand in everything, yeah. that it's a little more of a you can consider it more of an of an auteur, right. where you can like read into him mm. by all the output. Whereas with Roddenberry, given that he's had more control and less control at different times, yeah, and that so much has happened since he's been not connected at all so i think yeah it's 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 it is interesting because also that's it's something that's thrown around a lot by fans though is is it true to roddenberry's vision yeah 
And I think that's a whole discussion on its own because, and, you know, we mentioned that last week, uh, Lower Decks had the reference to the fact that uh, he did not think that anyone in Starfleet should have any interpersonal conflicts at all. Right. And the writers found that an impossible task to write a show where people did not have interpersonal conflicts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, being true to Roddenberry's vision, is that actually a good idea? Right. And, and Bones th- and Spock had some interpersonal conflict, by the way. You know, I think when people say this is not true to Roddenberry's vision, I, I don't know that some, I, th- when, I think people throw that around too lightly. I don't know that a lot of fans really know what it is. And I'm not saying, like, they're misinformed, but, I mean, if you go to Roddenberry.com, his vision, in quotes, is there. And, I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but... It's really just about like equality and everybody has a place. And so, I mean, I. Yeah, it does tend to become anything that that person doesn't like about Star Trek goes against Roddenberry's exactly. vision. Exactly. Like, but or it's, it's that everything has to be positive. Right. That's why, like, when you have. If you have Trek that's all action and it's like, oh, this is against Roddenberry's vision. Roddenberry's vision was about the human condition and about equality among all humans and things of that nature and i mean this may sound controversial but i think that the newest iterations tackle that the best in a lot of ways i I feel like you see more diversity in the new shows yeah or at the very least it continues that from when when we had it and you know arguably and this may or may not be true maybe it was next generation that he had the most control, but I assume he had most control during the original series and there was plenty of action in the original series. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I'd love to talk about you more. And I, I, I will also mention, I, I found this out uh, yesterday, that but apparently um, a biopic on Gene is being developed. Oh, that's fun. I love biopics. So, I mean, I, I'd imagine it's not, I'd imagine like that's one of those biopics that may end with, Star Trek beginning and maybe just discuss things from prior, but who knows? That's interesting. I, yeah. I, these, these biopics on people like Gene Roddenberry, it's such as it's, it's hard to do. I think it's hard to do it well. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. you know, I, there's one in particular, I think that's the closest and it's the, uh, William Moulton Marston, who's the creator of wonder woman a biopic. Yeah, and it's very tough because you show the person's life, and then you want to weave in, of course, the thing that they created. But it's kind of hard to because that's sort of their job. So I'd be curious to see how they do this. Now, the reason I mentioned the creator of Wonder Woman is because uh, I am from Saugus, Massachusetts, and so is the creator of Wonder Woman. Mm. But for some reason, my hometown—I didn't learn this till I, about two years ago. So. For some reason, my hometown does take mistakes no claim over the fact that the creator of Wonder Woman is from there. It's oddly, but Weird. I you digress. Think, you think when the film came out, too, it would be a big deal because it was such a big success, right? Oh, the Wonder Woman film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Jump yeah, all over very, that, man. Very weird. I know. It could say Saugus. Yeah. Why? Wonder Woman's hometown or something. They the should birthplace be, of Wonder Woman. They should be doing, like, you know, the Vulcan... The town of Vulcan in Canada totally plays up the Star Trek angle all the time. Right. Yeah. They could have Gal Gadot come out to Saugus, uh, you know? Yeah. yeah. Come to the Saugus Public Library and sign autographs. <laughs> well. But, 
I'm glad you mentioned Roddenberry because my take on this episode is a meta take on Star Trek as a whole. Okay. Did you, well, so getting into it, mm -hmm. and I always ask this at the top of the show, what are your kind of high-level thoughts on the episode before we get into any details? Did you walk away liking it? Like, yeah, what did you think? So I watched it, and I liked it fine. Yep. I was, uh, I forget when I watched it, but I was kind of half doing other things and watching it the first time. Yep. But the thing I realized in the second viewing is that I didn't really laugh at all. So I, I, last week I laughed a lot. This week I did not laugh yeah, at all. I can see that. But I feel like, and actually, so last week I had so many funniest lines. This time I think I only have one moment. I only have one this week too. Yeah. Um, but on second viewing, I realized, I think... Now, author intent, right? Did they mean to do all these things that I'm going to put into my theory? I don't know. But I think it's all there. And okay. I think that they made an episode of Star Trek about Star Trek as a whole and the current state of Star Trek. That's what I think. Yeah. And yeah. I think it was pretty on the nose, It's really. interesting that you say that because when you were telling me about that, it wasn't really something that I considered. But when you told me, and then I went back and watched it, a second and third time, it was difficult to unsee it. Right? Yeah. And, and the, it, I think feel like once you know it, it gets even more, there's even more to see about it. Right. For instance, when have we seen recently a mission to a mining facility? Right. Uh, Discovery, did they do that? Well, no. Yep. It was more of a salvage. Discovery. Yeah, it was a salvage one, but yeah. Yeah, yeah same deal. <laughs> I mean... Or mining, yeah, yeah, that's true. It was only, I mean, it was. It, was it may not have to be mining mine. specifically, but it was. It was a similar, yeah. Yes, that was my feeling. Well, so, yeah. Do you want to talk big picture? Or do you want to get into the? Yeah, detail? let me talk big picture. So, as we always do, we just we don't recall the uh, plot of the show because we just assume you all watch it, so we're not going to recount the plot. So we're just going to go down. A list of observations. So, beginning with the opening tease, once again, Lower Decks manages to make me laugh out loud in an opening tease that is seemingly unrelated to the overall plot. They do something that I thought was really funny and also do something in the classic way, it's weird to say that after 12 episodes, but in a classic sense of Lower Decks, make me look at something that I was like, I never really thought about what, what that looks like or what that... Of course, what I'm referring to is the sonic shower scene between Mariner and Ensign Jet Manhaver, which I thought was really, really... Which I thought was really funny and really absurd, but it was really funny. Yeah, so it really brought me back to the trip into Paul decontamination scene from Enterprise. Yeah. And I don't know, that maybe this was similar technology, as you mentioned, or yeah. maybe not, but... There was something about the nakedness of it yeah, that they were reminded me of that in the lighting. Yeah, and um, yeah. it, it was funny. I sort of imagined like, oh, maybe this has been going on on every Star Trek series since Enterprise, but we just never saw it. Right. Until but there was something about like, 
not only were they increasing the intensity, like there were multiple layers to why it was so funny. So they were like, so they were trying to increase the, they were trying to show each other like how tolerant they could get to how high they could set the sonic shower. But I love the fact that like they're setting, they're messing with the sonic shower, but it's not, it's affecting everybody's, it's affecting the entire room. Yeah, that like was there's, strange. There's one control if, panel for every sonic shower in there. And if you were at the gym and you then took a shower and, and you controlled the temperature for every shower exactly. in the place. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. I was wondering in watching it too, I wonder would humans miss the act of water showers? I'm sure it's hard to do in space. Yeah. Although they do everything else. But it just seems like it would not be as refreshing i have to assume that you can do both i know that in trek they they sometimes you see sometimes they take baths so i'm going to assume like you have the option to do both but and they do go swimming as we learned swimming yes yes the water is not an issue yeah but again this sort of what i'm talking about or what i was talking about a moment ago is that we've seen sonic showers before briefly but we've seen them and I never really thought about like how they actually work or what they actually do. And yeah. Right. I to guess they, point, the sound yeah. waves just vibrate everything off of your skin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you don't have to wear earplugs. It just, it, but to your point, like, do you walk out of that thing even feeling refreshed and yeah. why? And if it's vibrating, if it's using, if it utilizes vibrations to get stuff off you, why does it have to be hot? Right, or maybe yeah. the, it wasn't hot. Maybe it was just in more intense vibrations. Oh, maybe, yeah, because it got so intense. He even got to the point where he had like a where he had a bloody nose, which I thought was really funny. Yes, yes. So, uh, so that was one of the references. It ended up becoming one of my favorite teases on the show. By the way, sorry. That was one of the references that kind of worked for me. But yeah, one of my overall feeling in this is the references all fell flat for me in this episode. Oh, okay. Interesting. And this was the first time that I really, they really felt forced or, you know, inserted almost out of necessity rather than serving any kind of particular joke or story. Do you feel like all these references that that Lower Decks does, maybe it was best to do it in the first season so the show kind of establishes itself, but now it's time to sort of because I was reading some article about the show recently and they were talking about how they're kind of talking about what you were talking about. Like the show is doing a lot of references. Some of them are falling flat, but they said the show at some times feels like part of the shtick is that it, it has a lot of references, but in a way they're doing it too much. They seem to want to do that rather than build their own lore, build their own kind of. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I look at it that i don't see it as either or but yeah but i just feel that i i know other people have said this i have not had that feeling because i've enjoyed all of them up until this episode and for some reason in this episode everyone i was sort of rolling my eyes at and i just think they didn't quite work and i i mentioned that because i think they start hot and heavy right when we set up the uh, the main right a story as i call it right and I, I really, as just an episode, as a story, I didn't like it. I really like this idea of the Collector's Guild, and I really like the character they introduced, this yeah. many-armed person. 
he was a pretty fun character. He was kind of funny. Yep. And he goes to Starfleet to get their help. Which was interesting because it came out he was clearly just using Starfleet to do some labor that he didn't want to deal with. And I love that he sounds like like a like a Brooklyn mobster. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a sleazy. I was like, I'm almost a comic book guy. <laughs> I, I think for me that the we'll get into where the set winds up, but um, I feel like. I like the stories that they're telling, but I'm almost feeling like I just get Boimler back on the sh- on the ship first because I like everything else. Just seems like I, this is great. This is funny. I want I I want to engage with the story, but like I just need you to get Boimler back on the ship to for me to be enjoying so I can enjoy this other stuff more. This is interesting. It's definitely where you and I disagree. Yeah. Because I don't, yeah. I don't, I didn't care that Boimler wasn't there, and I actually liked the going over to the other ship. I guess now we have our cake and we can eat it too. Yeah, right. I think it's because if, if they want to. I don't know if they will, but they could well, have Boimler on the on the Cerritos and cut to Boimler uh, with uh, Riker. I think it's because Boimler is for me is such a com- like his provides so much of the show's comedic energy. That to not have him, it's like there's four of them. It's four legs on a table, and he's not with them. And again, that absence to me for me is just very felt. And but here's what I thought worked when they plugged Jed in. It was a yeah. different dynamic, but it I was a different dynamic, it. and I did I like thought it. Of, but yeah. I kind of liked it. Yes, right, right. And of course, you know, uh, not to skip ahead, but you know, we know how the episode ends. So anyway. Right. And you know what, honestly, I really love the transitions where someone will they'll be having the A story on the Cerritos, and then someone will just say, man, I bet everything's going great for Boimler. Yeah, they're or, doing, they're doing or, like and the... then boom, they cut immediately to him suffering. Yeah. I, um, but I did want to mention one reference that fell short starting right off, which was um, when they were talking about the collector, uh, and they said, did, did he try to collect data? And I said, they all tried to collect data. Right. And then the bird doctor came in and said, all he wanted to do was feel. That was one that fell short for me. And I just thought, why is that there? Right. I did uh, notice that the counselor there, who was the bird, who we saw last season, was sitting in the exact same spot that Counselor Troy sits on the Enterprise. So I like that they kind of brought that element to it back. It was nice. Yeah, I like the bird. The bird character's fine. Yeah. Reminds me of one, it, reminds me of one of the uh, bird characters from Breath of the Wild for some reason. Oh yeah, the the accordion guy. Yeah, I'm like he looks like somebody, and I just can't think of what it is. And then I was like, it's Breath of the Wild. That's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of Breath of the Wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know my my deep affection for the packlets, right? Uh, sure. I I love the packlets, and I'm right. really glad we got to see the packlets. Right. Uh, but I want to actually see them like we did at the end of, and just how dumb they are at the end of last season. Like, I want to see more of them that way, yeah. Yeah, I do think yeah. we got it pretty good when, um... <laughs> actually, that'll, this will be my funniest line. I'll save it. Okay. What did you think of the new security op- the new uh, security officer? The Tamarian, of course, who is the same species that we see in Darmok, Lieutenant Kayshawn. Mm-hmm. 
again, right? One of the greats of one of the great weird things of Star Trek. Yes, I think, and yet it didn't work for me at all. I think there's a lot of. I think, I think I'm disappointed in. There's more comedy to be mined there, and I don't think they were they were they were doing enough of it. Maybe mm-hmm. that'll happen as time goes on. But I felt right. like they had a good opportunity in front of them. Because he's such a juxtaposition to what Jax was. Yeah. And to your I, point. I didn't really like that yeah. the Universal Translator can handle it. That was kind of funny. And the yeah. fact that Jax, I mean, Jet knew some of their language, so to speak. Right. And the last scene was actually kind of funny when he was trying to hit on the woman using his language, which didn't really work. I, I want the. I hope that they go down that road more and strike a, and are able to kind of like strike a good balance between that between comedy and him actually playing a substantial role. I just think that yeah, there was a I, I don't like that he was sidelined so quickly on the away mission. I mean, the it was funny what happened to him, but I <clears> felt like that they did it they they sort of got rid of him too quickly. And I wanted to cuz like you introduce him and then suddenly he's sidelined. Right. He was yeah. saving Tendi. That was something that was noticeable. Right. He, he, he threw himself in front of the beam. Right. Getting Tendi out of the way, which was, you know, he's a heroic character. Right. I think maybe one of my issues is that the reason that the next-gen episode is so good and weird and funny is because it's played so straight. You know? Right. They don't, they don't think it's a joke. And that's right. why it's so good. Right. And, it, and I think that that's what I was missing. Once once the show was in on the joke of them, I, I find it wasn't as effective. And it's weird because I think, I feel like conceptually, it's perfect for Lower Decks. But I just don't think they were executing well, well to get some good comedy out of it. But... I think maybe I like it better when they take things that are not inherently funny and make them funny rather than these characters that are already inherently weird and funny. Right. Although the Packlids are also inherently funny and they were still inherently funny. Yeah, you're saying like they're not written to be funny. They're just funny as is. Like you don't have to write to make them funny. It's just the way their existence is what's funny. Yes. The original, original episode where they take it very seriously is already weird and funny. Right. You don't have to add any humor to it. Yeah, I could see that. I could totally see that. So, one thing I wanted to discuss with you, which I know you got very excited about, and hopefully I'm not jumping ahead on your notes here, but so going back to one of the uh, plots, so going back to the Boimler plot on the Titan, we got to see what you love so much about Trek, which was an observation lounge scene, a conference room scene. Yeah, so we got it was neat because I feel a couple things. I love conference room scenes. Yep. And of course, the master of the conference room scene is Picard. Yep. And you get to see Riker doing the Picard. And yep. of course, it was a little more, uh, you know, a little faster and more intense, but it mm-hmm. still was that. You know, he laid out the problem. He got some input from the team. You know, he like had a little back and forth and it was very funny to have Boimler in it because it was so like a well-oiled machine. It was so fast paced. 
that Boimler couldn't keep up with what was happening. That was right. actually a moment that I did find pretty funny because he was. I loved it when Boimler was trying to take notes and he took his metaphor. That's when he cut their strings and he was writing it down. Right. right. But he 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 was he's just so lost. He doesn't realize he's just using a slangy metaphor. Yep. You don't have um, to write this down. You don't have to write this down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was um, that was good. Yeah. And even just all the you know it, it was a excellent that could have been a next gen type of unfolding of the story. Like they've got this ore. It's it's unstable. These terrorists got a hold of it. The Packlids aren't smart enough to do this. There must be an outside player. We've got to get in there and find out who it is. It was just so fast, but so it's, good. It's strangely refreshing to see the conference room scenes because you and I were talking about how not only do we f- feel like we don't have enough of them, but when we do have them on the other shows, you don't have... Because the point of the conference room scene is to, as I said to you yesterday... It's about getting the characters and the audience on the same page. And you always have that one person who's asking the right questions, who's not up to speed on what's going on. Usually yes. it's the doctor because they're not like, they need that sort of real world example of like from one of the offices. So it makes sense. Right. And you also wind up getting, you need the expertise of everybody. So maybe, yeah. you know, Jordy's going to jump in with some sort of technical bit of information they hadn't considered. You know, right. so it's a way for really you to hear from all the characters right. and you get to see them all interact. And right. because in when it works, you have distinct characters with different specialties and yes. personalities. It becomes a very and it also vibrant scene. it brings everybody together because it gives them all. Everybody has a role in this in the solution to this problem. What I don't think we're getting on the new shows is like we have, first of all, I don't think we have enough scenes like this, but when we do have them, you don't have that one person who needs to be grounded and is asking those questions. You have, it's almost like you have too many, you have too many cooks in the kitchen. You have too many scientists, right? Like I think I said on discovery, like you have like four scientists in the room, but you don't have that one person who's asking the, the outsider questions. And that's right. that's what helps get the audience sort of on the same page. Like, okay, I see what they're talking about now. Or I, worse, yeah, is the, everyone is collected together just so that the solution can be dictated to them rather than right. they can discuss it and figure it out. Because what happens is when that's you have a scene important. like that, the solution they work out is this is is what they do over the next few minutes to conclude the story, to bring the story to a conclusion. And yeah. I, I, I don't know if it has to do with the fact that like the other shows are like doing story arcs. Maybe maybe it's because they're not self-contained. But I just think that we could use a little bit more of that just to kind of ground us and maybe even remind us in case you have another storyline that is being sidelined for a moment, but sort of to reorient us on where we left off. Yeah. 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 And another thing I love about it, and you know, we're kind of going on a next-gen I'm going on a next-gen love uh, rant, but you get, like, a bunch of smart people working yes. on a problem. You know, because maybe Jordy will say, like, oh, if we considered reversing the polarity of the who's he wants, and then they're like, if we did that, we'd tear it apart, you know, or something. So, yeah. like, some of the, they throw out an idea, and sometimes they shut it down, but they keep going and brainstorming. It's almost like 
a way to see like how do intelligent people work out problems yeah 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 i mean which i find the... really fascinating and i feel this episode and the show finds really fascinating too and i think boimler's soliloquy later or whatever we want to call it gets into yeah. that so once they get on the collector's ship that's where all the easter eggs are so yeah i know i have the sort of continuity easter egg section I'm yes. going to skip over that this week. There's just there's too many to name. So what I can all I can do is just tell you name a select few that stood out, but I would encourage the I would encourage listeners like there's t there's many different articles on like Gizmodo and IO9 that'll highlight what all those Easter eggs are. Yeah, I think we can talk about the ones that struck our fancy. We found amusing. Right. right. So for me, the salt vampire, which is a creature that this show is getting a lot of mileage out of. I, we've, this is like the fourth time we've seen it on the show from the man trap. I find the, the salt vampire hilarious. Right. I, so do I. It's great because it's such a ridiculous concept. But it makes the, so much sense, too. The, uh, and uh, we remember we got to see the real salt vampire at um, Ticonderoga? We did. We did. Yep. That's the plug for the Star Trek original series set, Ticonderoga, New York. Fantastic, highly recommend mm -hmm. going. Anybody, and it's and I, we and not to go on, not to kind of go off for a second, but recommend going in the fall because you get the nice fall foliage of upstate New York. It's fantastic. Sure. And I also recommend going to Fort Ticonderoga after yeah. if you have any interest in history because it's very fascinating. Where my not namesake Ethan Allen and Knox maybe took yeah. the uh, British fort, captured the cannons, brought them back to Massachusetts, where George Washington was able to kick the British out of Boston. Yep. But, but more on that on our Ticonderoga podcast. Um, <laughs> the photon torpedo, which was in the style of the one that Spock was buried in. I caught a Mirror Universe logo. Oh, yeah. I caught a Starfleet emblem necklace, which was encased in glass, which was, had a chip on it, which is what Khan had on in The Wrath of Khan. The, the biggest one, which I thought was so strange, and this wasn't in like the Literally room with all the, the artifacts. The skeletal remains of Spock 2 from the Infinite Vulcan in the animated series. See, I wasn't familiar with that episode. Yeah. But I knew it was Spock as soon as I saw it. Or, I or a science officer from that era. <laughs> well, it took me a second because I saw it. I'm like, I'm like, what the hell is that? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Is that Spock 2 from the Infinite Vulcan? And then, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And it wound up um, killing our uh, many-armed friend. It's so strange because... That's not a reference I would put past Lower Decks, and yet I was still surprised. Right. Yeah, you're not going to see that reference anywhere else. Right. Right. So, yeah, I think people may not realize, if you haven't watched the animated series, they, at one time, there's a giant Spock living on another planet called Phylos. Yes. So. And, um, yeah, the animated series, which, you know... Has a, seems to have a strange legacy in the company. Yeah. Because they claimed that Prodigy will be the first time we've ever made a cartoon directed at kids, even though Star Trek the Animated Series was on Saturday mornings with the rest of the kids' and cartoons. And won an Emmy for Best Children's Programming. Yeah, so yeah. come on, man. Remember your past. Although, but going back to the beginning of our podcast, speaking of Roddenberry, he didn't consider the Animated Series canon. But somebody had oh, once he said... involved in it? A lot heavily? Uh, not... He was, but so I forget where I read it, but somebody had said, uh, you know, it's funny that Roddenberry didn't accept it as canon because he sure as hell accepted the check for it. 
Oh yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, I I think they're I've, good. I think I've, I think they're as good as the original series. I've always considered well. it to be season four and five of the original series. Yeah, and they have some fine writers and yep. yeah, well done. Yeah, it's well done. So um, another reference that came in the form of dialogue that just so I'm just going through the ones that I think didn't land for me when they arrive and um, the collector is complaining that they're so late and he says, "What'd you do? Stop to debate the human rights of a robot?" Yep. And and I did find the Lieutenant Kason's reaction funny. I don't believe so. Perhaps I should review our logs. That was that was pretty funny. But yeah. yes, again, like the references, hot and heavy. For me, back on the uh, Boimler plot. Like Alex's oh. fornication helmet. Say again. Oh, I really liked Kalis's fornication helmet, simply yep. because the fact someone would have a fornication helmet is funny. Yes. Yep. And Kalis, obviously, we got to know so much in the first season of Discovery. Yep. The light of Kalis and all that. No, that it was oh. not, that was not Kalis. No, what no. was it? It was not Kalis. Forget his name. Kalis lived centuries ago. Right, but he was inspired by Kalis. Yeah, not Kor. Not directly. I forget who it begins with. It does begin with a K though, but it wasn't. Yeah, Kalis. but yeah, and he he did reference Kalis though, and saying how he yes. was like the continuation of Kalis or something like that. He made this direct connection. Yeah, to Kalis. Kalis is a legendary Klingon in Klingon lore. Yeah. So yes, yeah. So, back on the Boimler plot for one moment, because we're going, obviously the show goes back and forth between both of them. Um, so, going back to Boimler for a moment, because the show is intercutting between both plots, obviously. Um, what were your thoughts on, this is the first time we actually get a sense of what the crew of the Titan is like. And I don't want to say they seem a little mean-spirited, but they seem a little, like, high on themselves. And, like, it's not differing personalities. And the fact that, like, they, you know, Boimler loves the Enterprise-D, what the Enterprise-D did. And he's a next-gen fan, right? But then yeah. you have people like that crew who are like, oh, who are kind of, like, poking fun at that. Yeah, so I have a quote here. I say, so Raker must have been so bored on the Enterprise what was he doing exploring on a ship with five daycare centers yeah it's almost as if like and this is a very looking at this with a very jaundiced eye but because i don't think i've it's kind of like it's kind of like a ds9 fan making fun of a next gen fan because next gen didn't really have next gen was a show that was known for not really having much edge to it it was kind of like too it was very soft right that's almost, the best track that's ever been in my mm, but it's almost like you. Ha it was a. F it was somebody who liked, say, DS Nine, because it was maybe darker, grittier, more edgy, and they're like, "Oh yeah, like no, Next Gen. I don't like that show. It's not. I don't know. I'm. I'm really kind of putting that out there, but no. I mean, so yeah. this goes to exactly. And it goes what to I was what you saying. were saying, right? So it's very weird too, because clearly they idolize Riker. Yeah. But they think that Enterprise D was, you know. That was garbage work that they were doing. Right. Here's all right. Ready? I believe, and uh, I'm gonna go to and down a road I usually don't go down, but this is how I'm interpreting this one completely. I believe that this is 
um, a direct commentary on the state of modern Trek, particularly Discovery. Okay. That's what I think. Well, explain. And so I, I know what you mean, but explain for the... Oh, I think that yeah. this idea of, right, like I could, I could see this being the writers of Discovery and, you know, saying like, someone saying they want to have a string quartet or daycare centers or something and, you know, getting that shot down. And, you know, as it's been said, it's the action show. And we've talked a lot about, I mean, it was the one episode where there were, what, five individual phaser fights that Burnham got into? Yeah. In one episode, different phaser fights. The finale of season three, probably, right? Yeah. I think it was the one where she was the the, the premiere, I believe. Oh, okay. Oh yes, like, yes, you're right. I because I remember you different location and getting into yes. a phaser fight with the same people. I remember you because I remember you commenting on that at the time. It was the number of fight scenes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of what I took it as, and I think there's a few other reasons to think it. Where have we seen another character named Jet? We met another character named Jet that's right. today. In the Jet Reno. Mm-hmm. That's Jet's yep. not a common name in the Star Trek universe or elsewhere. Right. Um. I'll memory and, off there, just to be safe. But we get this kind of commentary, and then we have, eventually, and I'll go there, we have Boimler make this full-throated defense of the quote-unquote boring trek, yes. the exploring trek, the less mm-hmm. phaser fight trek, and he right. calls it out directly. And I think the interesting thing is that the two storylines, you have the A storyline with the Collector, and then you have the B storyline with Boimler. Yep. And both at the same time, they're very separate, but at mm-hmm. the same time, they both change gears from the action and they both turn to a clever scientific solution. Right. You have um, Tendi and Rutherford take over mm-hmm. in the first, in um, the A storyline and they use science to get find a simpler way out. And then you have uh, Boimler steps in and you know, draws on his knowledge of what happened to Riker yep. and reversing polarities and transporter science to save the day um, in the other one, right? So you, you go from the action driving the story, yeah, but then the classic Trek figuring out a problem is the thing that actually wins the day. The thing that I took it as, I mean, you talk about it from like, different writers i almost in a way see it as different generations of trek fans having a disagreement this isn't the trek i this is the trek i want to see i don't like this trek this isn't roddenberry's vision right so yeah well i think this is coming down on the roddenberry's vision side yes in the idea of that like it's less about fighting and and yesterday was his birthday right and yesterday was his 100th birthday. Any coincidence there? Is this all by design, you think? Really good point. That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Um, so I love, and I love, I'm, I, here's the whole thing, but I'm going to just say it here. Uh, Boitler says, I didn't join Starfleet to get in phaser fights. I signed up to explore, to be out in space, making new discoveries and peaceful diplomatic well, solutions. I mean. That's boldly going. And you know what? I'd love to be in a string quartet. I love that when Riker was on the Enterprise, he was out there jamming on the trombone and catching love disease and meeting his transporter clone, Thomas. Yep. That stuff may not seem as cool as what you guys do, 
But it's Starfleet all the way. Yep. And then even convinces one of the characters to say, Starfleet isn't just about kicking every enemy ass. Yep. Now, if that's not a statement on what Star Trek is and should be... Now, I know it's... disguised. I know it's a and, broad... And, and, you know, I know we say, like, we don't want to beat the dead horse that is us critiquing right. or discovery. But here I think that I feel that... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I think that this is a direct commentary well, on it. And I know it's a broad word to use, but the word discovery is in there. So, that was. Yeah. Well, this is I. Boyne was saying, you know, I joined Starfleet for the dis. Would you say for the discoveries or something like that? So it's not in the right context and and reflecting how we would feel, but I would yes. say making discoveries. Making discoveries, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I think whether that was by design or by coincidence, I I I, I don't know if it's. I highly doubt it was by coincidence. Me too. It's Me hard too. not to see it that way. And it's hard not to see the contrast between the two shows, as we've talked about. Right. Of how we feel like when we watch this, we feel like we're seeing the Trek that we are we we love. Well, and you know, we we talk about a lot. We've been very fair, I believe, and balanced. Not to quote Fox News, but in our treatment of the new yeah. shows. So Boimler gets them gets them out of there. So he he sciences his way out of get out of the situation, and we find yeah, out he, that. He inspired by when Riker got a clone because right. something about transporting through right. reversing polarity and whatnot. Right. And this is where I got a really good laugh. So we find out that Boimler got cloned. Mm-hmm. And again, in traditional Lois Decks fashion, like in vain of last week when... Ransom is coming toward the ship as a giant head. Like, there's a giant head coming, Captain. Prepare for grabbing. Boimler's like, oh, I got cloned again. I, or not again, but oh, I got cloned. Like, it's a normal... Yes, every Starfleet yes. officer should I, expect this to happen, maybe, at some totally point. Well, yeah. Because, yes, given that the fact that everyone seems to know what happened in the original series, right? So, yeah. if you if everyone learns about the original five-year mission, you have to be totally prepared to experience the weirdest crap right. in space. So none of this should phase anyone. Well, and it's particularly with Riker having been through it. And he actually seems really into it. He's like, oh, he seems excited that there's a clone. What's interesting, though, is that when you had situations in past shows where there is a transporter malfunction and somebody got cloned or some holodeck character gained sentience, the, the characters do reference it happening in a previous episode. But the difference is they have to research it first and be like, I did some research and found out this happened before. Boimler does it. Lower Decks does it the way a Trek fan would do it by remembering yeah, you, right off the top of your head. Sometimes they don't say season three, episode whatever. Exactly. Because, like, yeah. Lower Decks does a fantastic job of the characters recalling events of previous episodes the way a fan would. But in the context of Starfleet history, right? Right. Which and is, it, it always yeah. kind of fits, you know, like when they had um, Gary Mitchell. Right. And it makes sense that that would be someone they would reference. You know, it never right. seems out of the blue or, or like not realistic that yeah. they would be talking about these things. So, but ultimately where this leads is clone Boimler ends up staying behind because he's, he's a clone, but he's not, he doesn't behave the same way. Right. 
I don't know. I, I was unclear on that. Well, he has. He seems to have a little bit more of like an edge. He doesn't really seem to have Boimler's awkwardness. I'm not him. even convinced which Boimler was Boimler. Yeah. How do we know our Boimler went back? Well, it's funny. You and I had talked about how much fun we thought it would be if they would go into the mirror universe. And I kind of was getting like, in a way, like... It's right. kind of like Mirror Universe vibes here, but I think a Mirror Universe one would be yeah, a little like bit more extreme. Evil, didn't, there was an evil Kirk once that was There clone. was. There was. Yes. Enemy Within. One of my favorite episodes. Um, the transporter malfunction when it duplicates you always makes you, always makes one. In the in the great tradition of Trek, your transporter duplicate, you're evil. What was Thomas Riker like? Thomas Riker was... Um, he wasn't evil per se, but he 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 was different in the sense of like, um, he lacked. He seemed to lack Riker's moral center. Okay. Yeah. Because it's interesting that they use that reference, not the Kirk one. But, but the Kirk one suggests pure evil. Well, you, but you know what happened though? It, it, it's it, it's an alternate version of Riker because he he returns in an episode of Deep Space Nine. Wait, so and, he just stayed alive? What's that? Yeah, he did. He just. He did. So, like, um, like, uh, so there's a precedent for just keeping the clone alive. It's not like evil pers- in in the in, in the traditional sense. What this other Riker is is that it's an alternate Riker. Like he took he went down a different path than the other Riker did, and so he formed certain opinions about. He had certain experiences that <laughs> changed who he was. So he wasn't the exact same. It wasn't that he was evil. He was just right. very different. It and was he the was actually nurture argument. Well, and he actually became a uh, a member of the Maquis. Right. Yeah. So. Um, That's interesting too, because you could imagine Riker, under a different set of circumstances, doing something like that, because he's sort of a man of action. Right. So it's so I, you know. Let me kind of reverse course of what I said. So your transporter clone isn't evil, but. This other Riker, like, because he took a different path and went in a different way, he had a totally different, you know, their lives were the same up until the point, and then they went in different directions. Yeah. Okay, he became cool. a different person from his experiences. Love that. Yeah. The episode is called, it's in season three, it's called, it's a two-part episode called Defiant. And he's actually, when we see him, he's actually posing as Will Riker at first. Oh, I love it. I'm going to watch that today. Yeah, it's a good episode. It's a very good episode. Yeah. Season three, Defiant is the name of it. Yeah. So in this case, similar thing. They just let them live. But I really love that Riker gets a uh, order from Starfleet. It's too confusing to have identical members, so just send one back to right. Cerrito. Right. And that's what he does. I guess our Riker. I mean, our um, Boimler. Now, it's. I know it's kind of like a. It's kind of a light reset. But I'm okay with that. I, I'm 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 all right with that. Um, I feel bad for Boimler because, as he said last season, getting a post on the Titan was his dream. True, but I also think that he, I don't think he lo- it was happy there. Yeah, you know, it's it's easy to have a dream, but the reality of something and your idea of what that thing will be like mm-hmm. are very different. Well, so right. I think that's why I feel bad for him. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I mean, I think where I land now, I'm getting to like my final observations about the episode, but I think where I landed on it is that I, in a way, I kind of wish we got a full episode 
with Boimler on the Titan and not have it not just I didn't I, in a way I didn't want it to just be the B story. I wanted to see a whole episode of like beginning to end of his struggles. We were getting glimpses of it, but I just felt like there wasn't like a there wasn't a spike going through it. I wanted to see I wanted to basically see a day in the life of Boimler on the Titan. Right. I guess this right. is the closest that we got. Right. Because rather than just a snippet, we got sort of a whole shorter story, right? Come, finding out about what they had to do, coming up with the plan, executing the plan. Right. Because, um, yeah. But now, yeah. they're set up, you mentioned, with Boimler on it. Say that, say that comment again, you cut out. But now what? Oh, uh, they're perfectly set up for a spinoff. Captain Riker series with Boimler. Yeah. That could run concurrently. I'd be, I'd be down for that. I, I think I think where the Boimler awkwardness for me would have really come into play, again, doing a kind of day in the life aboard the Titan, what's it like when he is about to get into his first battle? What's it like when he's about to get into his first, go on his first away mission? Things like that. I mean... I still like what we got. I think I would have liked to have just seen a little bit more of that because some of it to me came off as a little abrupt. Like, it's almost like he left too quickly. So I think I would have just liked to have seen it fleshed out a little bit more. But that, I mean, that's really all. It's not, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't a deal breaker for me. No, you got what you wanted, which is him back. Yeah. Right. I, so I, I sort of felt, yeah, I was never that eager to get him back. I sort of felt we were, I was in good hands with the show, and if they wanted to keep bouncing, that was good. Yeah. So I think, um, I, I definitely, as you know, when when I feel like a show is being handled well, right, and I feel like I'm in good hands. I kind of trust them to go in directions I don't expect. I think the question, I think the question to ask now is. Where does Boimler go? What What is his new sort of North Star, right? Well, yeah. So yeah. I guess maybe he wants to be more of a uh, Picard and less of a Riker. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wait, even, even Riker says, I wish I could be on a ship that's exploring... And solving science mysteries instead of nonstop fighting. So right. even Riker endorses the vision of Boimler of what Starfleet yeah. is and should be. Boimler wants to be. And actually, going back to that trailer montage of what we see coming in the season, there's that one point where you do see Boimler beefed up and on the Enterprise D bridge. So uh, yeah. maybe, because what I was about to say to you was. Boimler wants to be on the next generation. Yeah. So maybe that's kind of like what he aims for, right? It's weird that he's beefed up then, given that now he's realized fighting yeah. is not his... Um... Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um, but we have to see what that episode brings. But yeah, so I, it's... it's You know, Boimler's taken... He's had some... He's, you know, he's had the, has had his ups and downs with this. And I'm wondering as the show goes on what this sort of three episode arc of him being on the Titan 
where that's going to live in the grand scheme of things. Is it just going to be something like that we are kind of like, oh, yeah, remember that? Or are we going to actually see him? Is it going to play? A, how much of a role is that going to play in the development of his character? I have a feeling since what I'm seeing from the show is that it's not moving its characters all that much. Mm. I could see that it will be, it was humbling in that now he's fine being an ensign on the lower decks now. Yeah. He doesn't have that, you know, before he sort of, he was always trying to figure out how he could move up. Maybe now he's uh, sufficiently humbled that he's going to just do his job. And I think, stay there i think what it could be is it's one of those things that he didn't realize how good he actually had it he was too concerned with wanting to get that post that maybe he just didn't really stop to think about i have it pretty good here right and what really does he want and what really does he want yeah we talked about he wanted to be like in the thick of the action and the cerritos oh we only do second contacts and then when he got into the thick of the action he realized i mean i'm sure we all can see that if mariner were in the position mariner would have thrived in that position right probably although she likes to be in charge and there were maybe like too many big personalities there but Hmm. mariner's much better suited to that kind of stressful action environment it's strange because i feel like between the four of them the development of the characters, the only ones that I'm really concerned about are Mariner and Boimler. Like, Tendi and Rutherford, I love them. But they're just kind of like, they're just happy to be there. They'll do anything. Right? Um, so it's those two, Boimler and Mariner, who I'm curious to see how they handle them over the next few seasons. Unfortunately, I think the fact that we saw Mariner, well, I think the jury's still out of what's going on with Mariner. Well, Boimler and Mariner know, got, have already gotten a taste of what it's like beyond Lower Decks, right? And they, and they both and, sort of And they come back. back. Yeah, they come back. So, like, is that the show? They all, Like, true. they always come back? Could be. Yeah. A, a reset, but not a like, it's not a Simpsons like reset where, right? You know, Homer quits his job at the power plant, but then, but at he the has same time, the next week. But think about it, think of it like this too. Think of it like this too. So for me, I, if this is what the show is, they're just on lower decks and that's that. I'm okay with that because that's the band is together. When you think of the other shows, when you think of, yeah, just think of the other shows. Nice yeah, that's the, the, nobody really moves up. To they're in the same. Gen. They're in the same position the entire time. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. At Next generation. It's the place where everybody knows your name. You yes. know, you feel safe there. It's like cheers. Um, right. But yeah, so I, I sort of thought for some reason this show was just going to do a little more with character development. As I mentioned mm. earlier, I thought maybe we were going to see Mariner put her talents to use in command, but now I, I don't really think so, and I don't think it's a critique. Yeah. I mean, that's just not what they're trying to do. I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's odd to me that they seem to try it out, but then they go back. So, like, it, it, I think 
it doesn't give me trust issues with the show, but it's like, how am I going to know when you're doing this? If you're actually doing this. It's almost as if we we see the potential of Mariner. Like we want to see her. Right. Settle down a little bit, have command because we think she'd be a great captain. But does that. It's sort of like you, you want like you want to see it happen, but that changes the show. Right. So that's the thing. Does that's the show the, want to yeah. grow, or does it want to just it's got a good thing, so keep it going? That's and that's right. from the producer. I, I, I think, but at the same out. time, though, I think it's too early to even to be doing that because this is only episode twelve. Right. Yeah. They've done it more seasons. than I thought they would. Yeah. You, 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 right. Yeah, as we said, could you still call it Lower Decks if they all, you know, right. move into the bridge crew? Yeah. So, if they keep the show the way it is, I'm that's fine. Because that, to me, is what the show is. Um, I'm not chomping at the bit to get them ranked up and moved on to the next thing. I mean, this is only, we're only on episode 12. No, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying the show. So yeah, before, I don't remind, repeat what you said to me yesterday or today, because I think I'd I I'd made that sim I said that Simpsons thing to you. Like the show's been on for thirty plus years, but they haven't. It's still the same stuff over and over again. But you had said something like, "What did you say? Something about Homer like changing jobs or whatever?" Yeah, so Homer typically will just he'll he managed a country singer or you know he, he does all he was an astronaut like yeah. he does all these crazy things and then the next week he's back at the power plant and maybe they get referenced once right as a joke is like hey remember that time you went yeah. to space or something but yeah. none of it really impacts the character from week to week right and do you have a problem with that well no but yeah i mean that's so yeah if if lower decks follows the same practice i mean i'm i don't i'm fine with that because but I don't think they will because I'm sure Boimler will be somewhat changed by his experience. I think like so too. I, would, there's yeah. no way he could go back and be saying, "Oh man, I wish I was on. Uh, I wish I was working with Riker," because obviously he didn't like that. Right. So I think that he will have changed in some way. I don't know that. That's the. Uh, the uh, I don't know how important it is. I just see Lower Decks as a show that has firmly established its identity and what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, we could do the yeah. the character thing, right, with Mariner, yeah. with Boimler, with Tendi, with Rutherford, right. and I think we would be able to do it. This could continue. Firmly established characters. This could continue for a long time on this format, and I would be okay. And you know why I'd be okay? One of the reasons why I'd be okay with that? Because it's it's twenty five minutes. Yeah. It's not a you know it's not an hour long drama here with layers. It's just it's a it's a you know it's 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 on some level it's not meant to be it's not meant to be taken too seriously. Right. Yeah. That's why yeah. it's not as important. So and it's not it's a like, big a deal um, to me. Yeah. It's sort of this funny thing in, in the world of comics where, uh, you know, they typically will do things to their continuity yeah. 
and they'll kind of at points they've said like, well, yeah, so everything Batman did from like 1932 to 1985 was like one year or something crazy like that. I don't know exactly what it is, you know, but it's like, well, why not? They're just comics. I mean, that could have all happened in one year for all we know. They, they, right. You know, nobody's looking at a calendar. So even though it might be five years of lower decks, it could yeah. just be one year of their service in Starfleet. Well, and also keep in mind, I, I, I actually didn't realize this. I didn't think about this until recently. The very first episode, the very first episode of the show is not Boimler's first day on the Cerritos. He's already on board. It's Tendi's first day on the Cerritos. Yeah. The three of them are still there, are already on the ship. So we don't even know how long he's been there for. Yeah. But again, to your point, this could have all, what we see, what we've seen from the first episode to the to this one, this could have all been in the span of like, I don't know, a couple, couple months. Or, yeah. 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 We don't know. I mean, unless you're yeah. not a translate star dates, which yeah. as we tried to do, I. Yeah. It's not as important, and I think that like, you think you said it right, where, like, I don't know if it's meant to be taken that seriously. Yeah. Because um, that's what I was sort of saying about Boimler, and I don't know if it's the most important thing. It's, you know, his arc and his ambitions and whatnot. Right. But I think that we've, we respect how this show is made and how well it's written so much that even though you could say it's just a funny animated series, right. we are... It is written so well. The characters are so well defined. Their motivations are well explained. Yeah. That we kind of are expecting it, it, it to do a little more. Yeah. So I think a good episode this week. I'm I'm glad Boyne was back. I'm looking forward to kind of getting back to normal again and seeing what kind of shit they get into this season. I'm 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 excited. I'm glad he's back. Me too, and I'm I'm curious to see will will we ever see the clone? Will we ever see Riker again? I, um, I I've wondered. Will we if ever see Jet again? I'm wondering if it's building to a. Are we going to get into a situation where the two Boimers fight each other? Hopefully. Yeah, but he's not a will, villain. That's will we thing. ever see the new security officer again? Yeah, I think. I mean, so. the, I think say he'll will. be he'll he'll be back to being full person, not a puppet, in an hour. I think we will. I think we'll see him about the same amount of time we did with Jax. I think we will. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm I, I'm looking forward to it. I hope I laugh more next time. Oh, there's more jokes that are funny, and I hope that... I don't know if it's me or the show, but I hope the references work a little better next week. Agreed. And they don't feel so tacked on. Agreed. Yeah. So, with that, we'll see everybody next week for episode three. Later, skaters. Peace out. Peace out.